0: Hey everyone! If you love listening to Curbsiders and want to enhance the experience, then now is a great time to join the Curbsiders Patreon with new annual memberships where you can save 10% off the monthly rate. You'll have the option to hear all the episodes ad-free plus twice monthly bonus episodes. You can sign up at patreon.com curbsiders. This is a great way to use that CME money that's probably burning a hole in your pocket. Plus support the show so we can keep bringing you clinical pearls, practice changing knowledge, mini-series like Teach and Addiction Medicine, our digest newsletter, and of course expand our video content. So join the CashLack family today at patreon.com slash curbsiders. Hey Paul. You know <laughs> sometimes I just like to tuck my knees into my chest and lean forward, Paul. Cause that's how I roll. <laughs> Welcome back to the Curbsiders. I'm Dr. Matthew Watto here with my great friend, Dr. Paul Nelson Williams. Today we are doing, I guess this is kind of like a knee pain 201. These I think are so. yeah. uh I think we're calling this Needful Things. Uh Paul, great title. Thank you. And uh we have back returning guests, uh Dr. Ted Parks. We're at ACP Internal Medicine 2023. Uh, by the time this airs, it'll have been a while back, but uh, we had a great time here with Dr. Ted Parks. And Paul, will you remind people, before we uh, tell them a little more about our guest, what is it that we do on the Curbsiders? Sure, Matt.
1: As a reminder to everyone, we are the Internal Medicine Podcast. We use expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice-changing knowledge. As you mentioned today, we talked to the great Dr. Ted Parks, Curbsiders' favorite, knees no introduction, has already taught us how to figure out most of the knee already, um, as as well as the hip. But he's going to talk to us today a little bit more, some of the more challenging causes of knee pain, specifically some of that vague anterior knee pain that may plague you in the office, um, gives us some great pearls to add to his already award-winning episodes from the past. So I, I think without further ado, we'll get to, to it.
0: Okay, and reminder that this and most episodes are available for CME through VCU Health at curbsiders.vcuhealth.org. Ted, you are you are one of our all time favorite guests. Uh, especially at this meeting, we get to interview interview you in person, which is always fantastic. Uh, for me, this is the first time in a while because the ACP hasn't. You know, I, yeah. I I was sick last year. I didn't get to come here and hang out with you, but. Uh, the audience, they've heard a lot about you in the past, but I think they're going to want to know some updated hobbies, interests, activities. What are you up to? I think you've been painting portraits in the past, but what are you, what are you doing these days in your <laughs> yeah, downtime? Um,
2: I, I, uh, right now, the biggest hobby going for me is I'm in a little country band, and we're playing a lot now. Um, we were objectively miserable when we started out, <laughs> and we had... Uh, a spot on Tuesday night at this Real Dive bar that no one ever went to. The only reason there was anyone in the place at all is because Tuesday night was free pool shooting night. There you go. And uh, just to give you a glimpse of how good we were, uh, I was doing a song and and this woman came up with a $20 bill in her hand and I was... Playing along I'm thinking while I'm playing, I'm thinking, boy, this is really cool. She's gonna <laughs> give us a tip, or maybe she wants me to uh, do a request. And uh, when we finished this song, I leaned down and, and she said, Boy, don't take this the wrong way, but I've got a really important pool game going on over here. If I gave you guys twenty bucks, would you not play for thirty minutes? I mean so uh, so as I guess when we turned professional right there and got paid not to play. Not to but, play. <laughs> Did you um, but you took the twenty dollars? Absolutely. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Good.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if it is can the audience find your music on yeah, Spotify? Yes, we're on Spotify. Okay. So if oh, you incredible.
2: look up For Ted sure. Parks and the Busted Bones, um, <laughs> we have one song actually that's put on the radio once a year. And that's that Halloween song. I think. Maybe oh yeah, we've talked time about time this I, before. I okay. So it's just it's only on the radio because there are no country Halloween songs. And if you're a DJ on Halloween at a country music station, uh, you reach for this song, and then you won't You've hear it again for 364 <laughs> days. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, if you if you turn on a country music station almost anywhere on Halloween Day, you're apt to hear that song. That's incredible.
0: We <laughs> should put that as the, like our intro or outro music for this episode. <laughs> yeah, for <Paul>. sure. Uh, <laughs> it's
2: called Halloween Monster <laughs> Blues. Okay. Uh, there's also one called uh, Moving On. On by Ted Parks and the Busted Bones, so uh, that that's another one. On that, we did a good job on both of those. The other ones are kind of janky. People recorded on a cell phone and put it out on the from yeah. a performance. But those others are those first two are, are kind of professionally done. So. And remind is this all orthopedic surgeons in the band? Or is no, it this no, year? it's it's a guy I've known since third grade, uh, and then uh, a drummer guy that we picked up just as we made the band. Which, which, is, which is what is you do with Yeah, they just kind of exactly they kind <laughs> of wander here, in right? and out. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly.
3: <laughs>
0: All right, well Paul, being respectful for Ted's time, uh, we we probably shouldn't pivot the whole podcast into talking about how he's like just, you know, a polymath. Right. The most interesting person we know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you, you want to bring gotta us a, get out more. Yeah. You want to bring us a case from Cashlack, Paul? Sure. So we were talking a little bit in advance.
1: This is <clears throat> excuse me, the the bane of uh, primary care existence is ill-articulated knee pain, so to speak. So I'm going to tell you about Patricia Alta, um, which is a hilarious name by the way. Uh, 47-year-old woman, she's coming she sees us for primary care. Her medical history is noteworthy for high blood pressure that is well controlled she's got prediabetes she um has overweight a bmi of 28.6 let's say she in general feels well but she is noting bilateral knee pain that has been bothering her for the past couple of months no trauma she can remember the knees have been without any changes that she noticed they're not hot they're not angry there's no swelling they just they just kind of hurt um she does work in housekeeping environmental services she does a lot of squatting as part of her job and this does seem to aggravate things the pain is not well localized, so if you ask her to point, she says she'll just kind of vaguely gesture around the knee and say it feels like it affects the entire knee. Sometimes it feels like it's quote inside the knee. And I, this is one of those cases where I, I, I you know, I, I'm not sure I'd be I'd be scared to put a name on it and to call anything. I'd be tempted to image just to see if there's arthritis there. But before we even get to sort of making the diagnosis, I wonder if you could just sort of refresh us on the relevant anatomy of the knee. You have such a great way of talking about how we should be thinking about that and what what parts we should be worried about. So if you could just start there, and then we can sort of help out Ms. Alta after the fact.
2: Yeah, you bet. So in her example, uh, I think the relevant anatomic features are what we call the extensor mechanism. And the extensor mechanism is not a single thing, but it's a chain or a train of things that come in tandem one after the other. And it starts proximally with the quadriceps muscle. So that's coming down the anterior surface of your thigh. That right before it hooks onto the patella, it transitions into the quadriceps tendon. The last couple inches of it are not muscle, tendon, they're tendon. Mm -hmm. And then that inserts on the patella. So that's the next thing in our line of structures. And then the patella attaches below it, inferior to it, to the patellar tendon. And then the patellar tendon goes down farther to attach to the tibia. So they're one after another in a chain-like succession, these structures that, as a unit or as a conglomerate, are called the extensor mechanism. And uh, they're used to extend your knee. So uh, if you qu- contract your quadriceps, it's going to pull on the quadriceps tendon, which pulls on the patella, which pulls on the patellar tendon, which pulls on the tibia, and that straightens your knee out. Yep. And uh, it's it's a really important chain of structures, uh, way more important than the opposite side, which is your hamstrings. Okay. Yep. And And the reason why it's more important is gravity. So uh, I always get the residents on this. I'll say, I want to ask you a question. And the answer is either hamstrings or quadriceps. And I will stand in the squatted position and stand up. I'll say, what did I use? And everybody gets it right, quadriceps, because you straighten your knee. Mm -hmm. We just went over that. Then I'll stand in the standing position and squat. And I'll say, what did I use? And most will say hamstrings, because we remember that the hamstrings do flex the knee. Right. But that isn't what I'm using gravity is actually flexing me down and I'm using my quadriceps to meter that. Mm -hmm. If I did, if I used my hamstrings and gravity and my hamstrings did, I would just crumple immediately to the ground. So if I'm standing squatting, I'm actually exerting an extension force with my extensor mechanism equal to gravity's attempt to Mm -hmm. flex me down. So you can see we use our quadriceps way more than we use our hamstring because gravity kind of does the job of that in a standing walking person.
0: This is when you're in the squat rack, Paul, with, like, 500 pounds yeah, exactly. on there. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yes. So I was doing it right before recording. <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs>
0: uh, so, Paul, this is – I mean, this is a patient – I guess the patient that comes with this sort of, you know, vague knee pain is someone I see very often. Uh, and we've, we've talked in the past about some of, like, the buckets of yes. – Various buckets of knee pain how would you how would you think about that or apply that to this patient?
2: Yeah, you guys have done a good job of putting some really classic nuggets in here that would put me into the patellofemoral pain syndrome bucket, mm-hmm. put this patient there. Uh, another way to describe it is to say this patient has anterior knee pain. And anterior knee pain sounds very unprofessional, uh, but it's just as vague as patellofemoral <laughs> pain syndrome. Thing. So it's the same thing. And it's kind of admitting to people that, okay, we're not really precise about this. And that's That's like the name of the game with anterior knee pain. It's very hard to be precise. And any element of those things we talked about in the extensor mechanism can be uh, the the problem in anterior Mm -hmm. knee pain. It can be your patellar tendon, which is tight, and you have a patellar tendonitis. It can be the articular surface of your patella has worn down to bone, and you have patellofemoral arthritis. It can be that the patella is not tracking well on the femur underneath it. And, and that can be a source of patellofemoral pain or anterior knee pain. It could be the quadriceps tendon above the patella that's got tendonitis. Mm-hmm. So all these different elements in this ex- extension chain can present as anterior knee pain, but the source of the pain is different and the treatment would be different for, for all of those different things. So it really is a really vague umbrella-type uh, description. Uh, the classic things, though, that would put you in that bucket are... Uh, an- pain that's anterior on the knee So that mm-hmm. kind of makes sense And pain that is worse with weighted flexion of the knee So mm-hmm. by that I mean uh, the knee is bent and you're applying a load My knee's bent right now but I'm not loading it because I'm sitting yeah. But if I'm standing with a bent knee And we do that when we squat like a baseball catcher We do that when we descend stairs uh, That puts pressure on uh, the, the It makes the patellofemoral extensor mechanism Press against the femur So the patella is under compression Pressure there, Uh, the patellar tendon and quadriceps tendon are under tension Mm there. So anything that's going to be irritating in that chain of structures is going to be exacerbated by weighted flexion in the knee.
1: And how how do you ask about that? And what other questions are you asking to kind of tease these things out? I I guess even if it's relevant, since you're treating these things a little bit differently, how? What else in the history would be useful to you um, to sort of help differentiate where in the, the chain this is this is causing problems?
2: Yeah, excellent question. So I'm going to, first off, I want to know, is the pain anterior? So the very first question is take, I'll just tell people, point with your finger where you seem to have the pain the worst. And if it's at the medial side, that's a whole different animal, but let's say they put their finger right on the front of their knee near the patella. And I'll try to be a little more precise. Is it below the patella and patellar tendon? Is it up on the quadriceps tendon? Is it, and it's hard sometimes for people to be that precise, but if they are that precise, it's a little extra information for me. Uh, and then after that, I'll just say, is your pain worse with squatting like a baseball catcher? Is your pain worse on descending stairs? Is your pain worse getting out of a chair without using your hands? And all of those things put a lot of force mm-hmm. on the extensive mechanism. Uh, so that's how I get them into the bucket of anterior knee pain. Mm -hmm. And then now I want to try to see, you know, is it the patellar tendon? Is it patella either down to bone or tracking off or both, or is it quadriceps tendon? And if they can't localize it uh, specifically to one of those three places, the x-ray is going to totally solve the mystery of bone on bone or or significant patellofemoral arthritis. It's also going to solve the question of, is the patella tracking right or wrong? So uh, an x-ray uh, it will help get you there. Uh, the specific X-ray to get is the sunrise of the Merchant's View, mm-hmm. um, uh, and it's easy for me to get that because I have it right there in my office. I just snap my fingers; yep. and it gets done. A lot harder for you guys to get it done. I may have yeah. to send the patient off-site and then it gets done some other time. And mm-hmm. uh, but but if uh, that's a good tool to figure that out. Um, the other two things: patellar tendonitis and quadriceps tendonitis. I don't know that we need to really work hard to differentiate them because the treatment's the same thing. Okay, uh, and the treatment has. Has to do with trying to restore the elasticity in those units that we lose as we age mm-hmm. and stretching is the answer uh so uh, the physical therapy program if you choose to use a physical therapist will be a stretch to stretch those structures and the stretch is to stand and pull your heel up behind you towards your mm-hmm. bottom and that's going to stretch the quadriceps the patellar tendon the quadriceps tendon that whole extensor mechanism is on stretch yeah when you get in that position
0: i wonder if uh like if just doing squats and like remaining physically active and, and sort of practicing that motion also could help with that, um, obviously squats could be a little hard on the knee in other ways but uh, I think was I talking to you about this recently Paul like in some some cultures it's like common for like older yeah. adults to just like yeah. sit in a squat I yeah. think in Asia specifically right. use the
2: bathroom thing yeah, yeah.
0: so yeah. so even like 80 year olds can get down in a yeah. squat and I wonder if this patellar tendinitis is like uh, is as common there because it's getting stretched yeah. and, and loaded so frequently
2: that's a really good question uh, and you got to assume that it wouldn't be or those people would all be pretty miserable
1: because you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. I just the coach williams thing in the office where i'm like you know squatting down to like sort to talk to a patient just to really be on their level and show them what a great listener i am and then the standing up afterwards is a nightmare like it is, <laughs> it is bad for it, it they lose all faith in me as soon as i try to actually become upright again
2: yeah so she's got these uh she's uh the right age group she's got the right job to uh, and her location of pain is anterior it also is uh being a female she's at a higher risk for patellofemoral problems than a male. Mm. And uh, we can really get into the weeds on that if we want to, but it has to do with this Q angle idea. And the Q angle stands for the quadriceps angle. The long axis of the femur is not collinear with the long axis of the tibia. Uh, There's an angle here. And the wider your pelvis is, the more that angle is going to be. And so if you think about the patella as this... Think about it like a bead with a string below and a string above, and the strings are at this angle. If you pull on the ends of the string, it's going to bring the patella sideways. So for every quadriceps superior contraction vector, there's a little bit of lateral. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So So lateral tracking is way more common in a person with a wider pelvis, and that typically is a female compared to a male. So females have that disadvantage structurally that puts them at higher risk for maltracking and that element of patellofemoral or anterior knee pain. And okay.
1: you had mentioned that you can see maltracking on imaging. I've even seen it reported. But I guess mm-hmm. what what are they seeing specifically? Is it just the oh. like configuration of the patella or what, is, what are they looking that's, at in the imaging?
2: Yeah, let me show you. Um, so the, the view we're talking about is this uh, merchant's view of x-ray where you look under the patella. So that's a, a normal one. Mm -hmm. And uh, really, one of the things striking is how big the space is. And it's not really like an effusion or there's actually a really, really thick layer of cartilage on the patella Mm -hmm. that's resting onto a really, really thick layer of uh, cartilage on the femur. Mm -hmm. The thickest layer we have in our whole body of articular cartilage is on the patella. So it's theorized that if it gets thin, some of the forces are transmitted through that to the patella, that nature gives a thick layer there on purpose because mm-hmm. the forces are so high. We need that much barrier for so we don't feel force on the bone beneath it. Um, so that's the X-ray. we look, And that's actually showing two uh, two knees with the patella well-centered in the trochlea, which is the groove that the yeah. patella sits in. And I've got a couple here that um, show that it's coming out of, out of that groove, I thought. Um, well, that's, that's an extreme example oh, where the patella- yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's not even- That doesn't <laughs> belong there. Yeah, yeah, uh, but they're-, they're it's, are, way, it's, it's way it's to the out side. out of the groove completely, yes, yeah. yeah. And they always go lateral because that little push that you get from the cue angle mm-hmm. is always gonna make it come out laterally. Okay. So patellas never dislocate or tilt toward the medial side. Oh they yeah, interesting. go laterally. Okay, very cool.
0: This episode is brought to you by Pathway, and you are going to want to hear about this because you're listening to Curbsiders. So I know you care about making the right decisions. You want to take better care of your patients, and you want to know what does the evidence say. And Pathway is going to help you do all those things. So say I'm preparing for a show on COPD, I can bring up the Pathway app. has a nice concise summary of COPD based on evidence and guidelines. I can scroll down to the bottom. I can see some of the latest studies that came. Out about COPD, and that can link me out to the PubMed pages there. Pathway is super easy to use. I think you'll really like it. And that's why we're telling you about it because you're listening to this show and you want to take better care of your patients. Pathway is updated daily and they send out weekly emails for primary care and internal medicine. These are short emails that allow doctors and medical practitioners to stay up to date with the latest research and guidelines so your knowledge is current and you're taking good care of your patients. So download Pathway today. It's a high quality resource to help you take better care Care of your patients and leverage the power of evidence-based medicine in your practice. That's pathway.md. Paul, are we at a point of talking about treatment for for our patient here? We no, you always do this one. I always do this. Well, that's why that's why you're. What about ship the physical
1: examination one? before you write to imaging? What kind of internist <laughs> yeah. are you? And actually, I did want to ask since we're on the topic right now, chondromalacia. I feel like there. I've read mm-hmm. about this. There seems to be some confusion between well, not confusion, but. Contention Contour- about differentiating between that and patellofemoral pain syndrome and sort of, could you help differentiate those two for us if there is a point in doing so?
2: Yeah, you bet. So chondromalacia technically means a sickness of the cartilage. And uh, that could mean like in an extreme example that the cartilage is worn all the way off down to bone. So that's patellofemoral arthritis. It could be that it's worn thin enough that you're transmitting force to the patella. Uh, it just means some abnormally, usually abnormality usually due to wear in the patellofemoral joint and realize if the patella tracks a little off, the wear rate goes way up. Yeah. So the tracking abnormalities are associated with chondral loss uh, and con- mm-hmm. chondral degeneration. Uh, so chondromalacia is a word that tries to describe uh, abnormal cartilage surface on the patella. And uh, it's in the umbrella diagnosis of patellofemoral pain syndrome or anterior knee pain. uh, Because like we said, all those structures can contribute. This instance, it's the patella and it's the cartilage surface of the patella either being absent or thin enough that pressure is being transmitted Mm. through it.
1: Gotcha. That's helpful. All right. Now, back, I, I wanted to ask about the physical examination before we go right to treatment. Um, uh-huh. It sounds like we've, we've got a good history and this is the right person to sort of... We can probably make a good guess of the diagnosis, but for you, you see this person in the office, what are you doing other than looking at cue angles, which I, uh, <laughs> I'm i <still> not <laughs> sure I would be able to do on the fly. Are there any other maneuvers that you would do or anything else that you do to help kind of tease out whether or not you have the right diagnosis here or not?
2: Yeah. And the, the physical exam is pretty weak here as far as having diagnostic power, uh, but uh, I do like them to... F- uh, extend and flex their knee a couple of times. There, imagine your patient sitting on the exam table facing you, and their their legs are their knees are bent at ninety degrees, just kind of hanging there. I'll put my hand on the anterior aspect of the knee, on the surface of the patella, and have them bend ext- and extend their knee, not against any resistance, just mm-hmm. in the air like that. And a lot of times, you can feel patella crepitation. And if you do that at a cocktail party, probably half the people you do it to, <laughs> especially if you get old people like me, you're going to find that. Mm-hmm. And it's only really important or pathologic if it's more exacerb- or if it's more uh, pronounced on the side that you're interested in. Now, she's got bilateral knee pain, so it may be bad on both sides. But the more crunchy that is, the more diseased or worn the patellofemoral articulation is. Mm-hmm. You're not apt to pick up tibiofemoral chondromalacia there because in that position uh the, the, there's no compression force on on the mm-hmm. tibiofemoral or the uh, tibiofemoral joint it's more on the patellofemoral joint yeah and uh, sort of the corollary to that is what people talk about is a theater sign mm-hmm. uh and uh, you know I'm from Colorado and our baseball stadium has like two inches of room for your legs when you sit <laughs> yep. there. And so you have to tuck your heels way underneath your chair and you're in this extreme flexion angle. And that a- that whole extensor mechanism is tightly pushing your kneecap against the hole oh, yeah. behind it. So if you sit there for an inning or two, your knees just ache like crazy. And that's, that's I mean, the theater style nowadays would be like the long car ride or the plane ride I was just going to say, I feel like half uh, the people that, at this conference- was coined back when <laughs> those things didn't exist. And the only time people sat like that was to, to watch a, a play at a theater, I
0: I guess. Mm. Okay. So physical exam, sorry, Paul, but physical exam, not, not a ton here that we're looking at, but do you, yeah. <clears> anything <throat> on inspection? I mean, I guess you're looking, make sure there's not like a gigantic, like uh bursitis or, you know, like yeah. lump on the knee, but, right. uh, or any obvious redness uh deformities that sort of stuff but and
2: there are a host of tests you can do to try to analyze or guess about tracking okay um and one of them uh is this patellar tilt test mm-hmm. uh and that's a test where you try to get your thumb under the lateral border of the patella with the knee extended mm-hmm. and you try to see if you how how you can raise that lateral border so um I don't know. It's imagine like you have a plate on the table and your thumb's under the edge of the plate and you're lifting it up to look underneath it. That's what we're doing to the patella with our thumb. And you should be able to raise it up so that that lateral edge is beyond the horizontal, a plane horizontal or parallel to the ground. Mm -hmm. All it means if you can't is that the lateral retinaculum is tight, which tends to tilt the patella. And again, it's always lateral because of the Q angle. So it just means your patella may be tracking abnormally laterally, which increases wear rate and puts you at risk for those things. There's a thing called the patellofemoral apprehension sign, which is when you push the patella laterally, people get apprehensive because they've dislocated that direction. Uh, So that's a test for patellofemoral instability as well.
1: And then what about the the compression test? I feel like I've wrote about. It. Is there any utility in doing that? It yeah, seems...
2: I, I I abandoned doing the patellofemoral test, uh, grind test, or Clark's test because uh, it's positive on so many people, even if they don't have. It just uh, to, painful. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is painful if you if you.
0: You're really just are... mashing the patella into the into yeah, the you're uh, femur. Yeah, holding the patella
2: against the femur and then having them contract their quadriceps to actually add to the agony. Oh, geez. So um, okay. So I haven't found. It. Maybe other people are finding that useful. I have not found it to be that useful.
0: All right. So now, Paul, what's what's next? (laughs) And
2: then I would ask, would you I mean,
1: you've got a good story. Would you get imaging on this patient? I I, I don't think I was aware that it would actually even be helpful in the setting of patellofemoral pain, like just in terms of looking at chondromalacia or the maltracking, is, is, should every patient get imaging or who would you choose to, to image the knees?
2: Uh, you know, it's easy for me to do uh, because it's right in my yeah. office. So in my practice, I would do it uh, and I could also show it to the patient that minute and we go over all that. Uh, if I were in an internal medicine practice, I don't think it's uh, necessary on uh, the first encounter with the patient. So if we're really struggling and we're not making progress, then I think an x-ray plays a role. But uh, a lot of times the treatment for patellofemoral syndrome or anterior knee pain is really the same which is stretches to try to increase elasticity in the extensor mechanism, and that's the heel-to-bottom stretches, the most productive of those stretches. Uh, And then uh, you can also strengthen the the, the quadriceps got its name because there are four muscles there. And the one that you can strengthen, if you can strengthen one preferentially and you strengthen the medial one preferentially, you can help correct tracking. Hmm. And the exercise that seems to most preferentially strengthen the medial quadriceps is a stationary bike. So stationary oh, bike is is something we use all the time for patellofemoral syndrome. Uh, there was also a paper written that <clears throat> by doing the stationary bike, you... Increase the anterior to posterior size or girth of the muscle if you mm-hmm. make the quad strong, and that raises the patella off oh, the femur a little bit. So, you're not only uh, maybe decreasing patellofemoral contact forces by raising the patella, but you're also helping move it medially if there's a tendency for lateral tracking
1: and correcting that tracking so, a little bit.
2: If so only I'm, this,
0: if, if only you were the inventor of Peloton and, and I you know,
2: know, that, I know. that bike
0: you invented way back when, the Dang video it. game bike, I yeah.
2: know. I'd have to take you guys out for dinner. And you could have
0: cured, <laughs> cured this patellofemoral. Well, pain syndrome exactly, and uh yeah, yeah and really what a windfall
2: nobel prize or something
0: yeah. <laughs> okay so stretches yeah. uh maybe some
2: maybe some bikes
0: uh yep. biking cycling and anything else that you're you prescribing anti
2: anti-inflamm- oral anti-inflammatory medications mm-hmm. at this uh but really it's extensor mechanism stretches and uh exercises that preferentially strengthen the medial side of the quad and the exercise bike is a real simple and, uh, and accessible uh version of that
0: okay is
1: there anyone with this that you would ultimately end up surgerizing in some way? or is Lots it, is... of
2: people like this. But but the trouble is our surgery results are poor with this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you have a really bad patellar tracking problem, that probably ought to have an operation. Uh, and the reason I think our, our success rate isn't that great is that that procedure doesn't reverse the wear and tear changes in the joint, they still exist just as bad as they were before surgery. It probably slows down those degenerative changes in the future, uh, and that's not really what people are after. People are after pain relief with the Mm -hmm. operation. Um, If they have bone-on-bone patella femoral arthritis and are very symptomatic from it, a knee replacement, either a total knee replacement or the partial that replaces the surface of the patella and the femoral part beneath it uh, can give pain relief.
0: Yeah. I, I'm sure patients are going to ask about orthotics, knee braces, yeah, you know, those I sort have of things. A, um,
2: there is a knee brace that exists that's a really interesting concept, and that's a knee brace that's spring-loaded, and it puts your knee in extension, and you have to work kind of hard to to bend it at all. Okay. okay. So uh, you, if you want to bend... <laughs> so it gives your, you
0: like a functional peg leg unless you <laughs> really yeah, work yeah, hard. Yeah, exactly.
2: Unless you decide that you want to bend it, in which case you've got to recruit your hamstrings. So, let's say that I'm in that squatting position we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. The spring is actually going to do a lot of that work, not my extensor mechanism. So, it unweights the extensor mechanism. Now, over long periods of time, maybe it makes it weaker, which is going to be counterproductive. But you would get pain relief from that. And interestingly enough, there's a a thing that skiers use in Colorado uh, for anterior knee pain which is like this elaborate pole that goes down the back of their leg to their ski that's spring-loaded that helps Ah. them, same thing, it, it helps support them in the bent position without using their quadriceps.
0: Oh wow! That yeah. just that seems like that seems a little lazy to me. I don't it, know. It but. is kind
2: of slacker's way
0: out. You yeah, know? but I guess if it keeps people skiing and they're yeah. <laughs> you know that's what they love to do, then exactly. uh, more power to them. Yeah. yeah, that sound that knee brace sounds like. Is it a proprietary? Only one company makes yes, it. Is and it very expensive? I, and, and or... I haven't
2: seen it for a long time. So, okay. uh, so, I, so it probably it,
0: hasn't really taken
2: fire. It hasn't taken fire. Okay. Maybe because of the long term consequences, uh, quadriceps atrophy, which goes against our mission.
0: Okay. Um, what do you think, Paul? We, we set, sorted this out. So we're going to, what are we yeah, going to do for we teach our patients?
1: So we tell her to get on our exercise bike. Ms. Alta comes back. She says, we are the best doctors that ever existed. Um, and we get a, a five out of five Yelp rating, which is, which is great.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> which is what we're really yeah, after. Right, that, right. I just, just give me that is, validation. Yeah, well, and
1: I get paid by Yelp rating. It's, it's, a, it's an important <laughs> metric. Um, <clears throat> gets replaced, press caney. So Ms. Alta comes to the office several months later after we fix her femoral pain. And she says to us, I think my bursitis is acting up. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that, Ms. Alta? She says that she's now having more anterior knee pain. It is just the left side this time. She says it's worse than when she stands up from a chair, but she also knows when she climbs or descends the stairs, so either direction. The pain's been going on for about a month, but it's gotten worse over the past few weeks. She says also, um, she volunteers this because I wouldn't think to ask, that she has trouble sleeping on her side because the pressure of one knee against the other knee actually really bothers the left knee. Um, again, no trauma that she can recall. She didn't bang on anything. She's not noticed any particularly erythema, warmth, or swelling. Um, we do have some prior imaging for her, which maybe shows a little bit of DJD, but nothing super significant and certainly nothing um, nothing medial to write home about. So I, I guess Ms. Alta diagnosed herself with bursitis. I would ask you, is she correct and um, what would you do to sort of confirm or refute this if, that, if that's what your concern was?
2: Yeah, so we were talking earlier about the fact that in the knee, there is sort of two troublemaker bursae, uh, one that will exist beneath the skin, just beneath the skin anterior to the patella. So when you feel the front of your knee and you feel the patella right beneath the skin, there's actually a bursa in between there that you're not feeling because a functional bursa is a collapsed sac. And uh, as it's collapsed, you don't really feel anything thickness of it or anything there. Um, There's also one down by where the anserine tendons attach to the medial tibia about three inches below the joint line. So, well below the joint line. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, this is, uh, you know, like you're saying, these are extra-articular causes of knee pain. And uh, yeah, right about where Matt's pressing there on the anterior medial side of his knee, on the bony part, there's just skin and bone there. Mm -hmm. And it's a few inches distal to the joint line. Uh, That's where these tendons attach. And uh, because they move, not so much linearly, but uh, they change their angle as you walk they rub against the tibia behind them. So nature has put a little cushion there called a bursa and that bursa just like the one under your skin on your kneecap uh, is there to keep the friction down between those bearing surfaces. So that can become inflamed and uh, that the second part of her history really supports that. So that's a source of medial knee pain. When she sleeps on her side and she stacks her knees and they they stack on each other, the, that's putting pressure onto that area. And if it's sore and inflamed, that would definitely cause the symptoms she's talking about. So I'm after listening to what she's saying I think that this certainly could be a pez answering bursitis uh, also you can have a pez answering tendonitis and it's a it really acts the exact same way and the treatment is the exact same thing and they're easy to diagnose because they're tender on the subcutaneous part of the tibia there where there's just skin and bone there's nothing you, else there right it's like nothing else there it's below there's yeah. no collateral there's no meniscus it's just bony wasteland with these three <laughs> tendons hooked on there and the, a bursa underneath that. Bony
0: wasteland, also a good name for a band. Yeah. Missed yeah. <laughs> <Best> opportunity.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you just stomp around with your fingers there and you will know when you hit that spot, it will light her up. Okay. Uh, the, the the three tendons that, you know, the pes answering is the goose's foot because it looks like a three-pronged uh, goose foot. Mm-hmm. And the three tendons are the, the sartorius, the semitendinosus, and the gracilis. And uh, the semitendinosus and the gracilis are hamstring uh, muscles, mm-hmm. so if it's a tendonitis of those, hamstring stretches can help. I guess I'm getting ahead and talking That's about right. treatment. Uh, the sartorius is a hard thing to uh, to stretch or, or or even condition. So we we kind of take the shortcut and do hamstring stretches for that tendonitis. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this is Sartorius is the one that helps you sit cross-legged or something. Yes, it's, so, all, it's all yeah, that I yeah, remember exactly about because
2: That's the way, I guess, tailors used to, maybe they still do sit like that. Uh-huh. So there is a way to check it. And you, what you do is on the affected side, you put your heel on the shin bone down by your ankle. Uh-huh. You ask them to drag it up their tibia. And uh, if that causes pain, supposedly that's recruiting the sartorius. And I've oh. never, I've tried it a couple of <laughs> times, I've never found anything useful about it, but that's, uh, that's supposedly based on I might on start the doing that
0: just to patients,
2: just to, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> exactly, kind of hurts their shin bone to drag their shoe y- across it like yeah.
0: that. Yeah, yeah, just to <laughs> <feel> make like... <laughs> them think twice before they come in there with some knee pain. I think <laughs> a
2: lot
1: right. of these maneuvers are, are mostly just to impress the patient that you're actually looking for something. Like, yeah, if it is, exactly, Like if you're yeah. like national on that's a kneecap right. yes. or know, dragged your legs <laughs> wrong. Um, I did want to ask who is who is the typical patient who gets bursitis? Like, what 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 background sort of uh, phenotype kind of raises your pretest probability? If someone's coming in with this either anterior left side knee pain.
2: Yeah, so the the one that's on the surface of the kneecap beneath the skin, that's usually from blunt trauma to that area, and by blunt trauma, I don't mean like getting hit by a baseball bat. I mean like doing your floors. Uh, getting down on your knees on a hard surface. Yeah. Uh, that's the classic for that. Uh, the PES answering bursitis is more like uh, somebody who decides they're going to join a CrossFit class uh, and, <laughs> uh, or P90X or, you, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, and lots of squats and lunges, things they're not used to doing. Uh, and that could precipitate that.
0: Okay. So that's that's good to know. So I, I escaped that fate, Paul. I think I'm, I'm deep I mean, enough in now. So far. We'll see. I'm I deep mean, enough time, in time at, at this point. you hurt yourself yeah. one way
1: or the other. I'm just waiting. I will hurt myself. That's true. That's true.
0: Yeah. Well, this... Okay. So this is good. Uh, we So we talked a little bit... Uh, the physical exam, it sounds like just inspection and palpation are going to get you most of the way there for you this. Um, but... I think you had a question, Paul, about about ultrasound because you're fancy and you carry an ultrasound. Sure, (laughs)
1: at all times, yeah, even though it's not functional currently. But, yeah, I guess is there – when would you consider aspiration? Is there a role for pocus, I guess, as Matt was sort of getting at? Is there any any other sort of higher-level stuff that you would do here other than just kind of poke and mash?
2: Yeah, I think that uh, the prepatellar bursa is so easy to see. So you wouldn't need the ultrasound to localize it. And if you wanted to drain it, Uh, it would be about as difficult as popping a balloon with a needle, very difficult not to drain it or not to hit it with the needle if you wanted to drain it. So I don't think you would need image guiding for that. Mm -hmm. Um, For the PES-BURSA, that would be harder to perceive or detect from the surface, and the ultrasound could show a fluid-filled sac there. It's mm-hmm. about the size of a walnut, about that that little bursa. Uh, but uh, even if you didn't have an ultrasound and you decided that you wanted to, for instance, give a cortisone shot there, which is a, something that is in the treatment mm-hmm. for this problem, uh, if you find the point of maximal tenderness by stomping around on the on the bony wasteland like we were a second ago, yeah, and the point of maximal tenderness is where you put the needle and you get it all the way down to the surface of the bone, you will treat tendonitis and bursitis. Simultaneously, one, both, or either, whichever they have. So I don't know that you have to find the bursa, aspirate it, uh, which you could do with ultrasound. Right. Um, but I think even if you didn't do that and just delivered the cortisone to it's the neighborhood get in the general, it's going to do the job. Okay. So uh, so it's interesting. Ultrasound is getting more and more popular. Technology is getting better with it. People are getting more comfortable with it. Uh, and you could certainly use it to to find the bursa if it's full of fluid. If it's not full of fluid, it's going to be very hard to see yeah. on an ultrasound
0: and you mentioned draining the prepatellar bursa so remembering back to the electronon bursitis yes,
2: you told us
0: uh, two things i think very important to the audience one was that you don't want to just stick the needle right into it because that's going to leave a track that it could they could just keep leaking fluid yeah and i've done that i've is made it the that same mistake
2: with yes. the knee i so, imagine it's
0: the same kind of thing yeah right? so
2: the temptation is go right in the center of the anterior knee because that's where you see this thing like bulging out and you know you're gonna get into it, no problem. Uh, The problem is uh, it's thick stuff, so you gotta use an 18 gauge needle or you'll have Mm -hmm. best success with that. And an 18 gauge needle hole, in a place where there's fluid being produced 24 seven, a pump is turned on in there. Mm-hmm. It'll drip, 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 and sometimes not stop dripping. And you've yeah. created like this little sinus tract that's a nuisance and a mess. So uh, if you're going to get a needle into that space, it's better to come kind of remotely through a one inch track mm-hmm. uh, and enter from the side here above or below or on the medial lateral side, but mm-hmm. give yourself a, a distance. So when you pull the needle out, there's some resistance that collapses and it's a lot harder for the fluid to drip, drip out of that because the tissue just, you know, it, there's enough tension right. in the tissue to collapse that track.
0: The other thing important
2: that you taught us that
0: blew my mind was that if if you cut out this olecranon bursa, that the patient will grow a new one. They does, will. Does this hold for the prepatellar <laughs> yes, bursa as well?
2: Yeah. I was uh, t- telling you guys, too, if we put orthopedic hardware in that's kind of prominent and rubs against adjacent structures, you'll grow a bursa there. That so is just the incredible. The body yeah. loves making bursae. Uh, It'll replace the ones we took out. It'll put some new ones in where you don't even need, you know, where you're not supposed to have them, but there's hardware there to irritate. It's almost like think about a blister uh, that will develop anywhere that there's friction. So the body can can respond to friction by making these fluid filled or or, or these uh, bursal sacs.
0: Yeah, I. It seems I wish it could fix some other things that get yeah. broken so <laughs> yeah. easily. It seems like it has no, you like know, grow
2: back some teeth or
1: something like. Right. Exactly. You know. Yes.
0: There you go. Hair, hair sure, would be hair good. Would be yeah. fantastic. Sign me up. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Um, you, you alluded a little bit to to management. Um, any anything to add there? I mean, I, I feel like Ed says are the answer to everything. You mentioned some stretches. Anything else that we would counsel um, Ms. Altobat about what to expect and sort of where to go from here?
2: Yeah. The, uh, the one thing that um, might make sense, uh, and this has always been a really confusing thing for for me, is the topical non-steroidal rub-on creams. Uh, and the reason it's confusing to me is it's very hard to imagine that that gets, like, for instance, uh, deep into your tissue. And some of right. the structures we're talking about are really deep, like centimeters below the surface. And it's hard for me to imagine that the topically applied anti-inflammatory cream is there's any anti-inflammatory stuff getting down yeah like if you're
0: trying to use it for back pain or something yeah, exactly, like that right. it seems yes, hard that,
2: it's it's a stretch right. for me and i know that anecdotally people respond to it i have really grumpy cynical patients who get relief mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. so uh so it's doing something but but this may make sense on the pez because yeah, it really it just, is so, so close to the point. surface mm-hmm. so uh and and uh, i think that even if uh it weren't working chemically Sometimes if you rub that area, just the rubbing part with your fingers is helping to get rid of the tendon tension and and helping Mm. a little localized stretch. So I would add that uh, to our hamstring uh, stretches and if necessary, a cortisone uh, injection right there.
0: Okay. And uh, I imagine removal of the patellar bursa if it's infected or bleeding or something like that maybe yeah. that happens I haven't heard of pes anserine bursa being removed but maybe that maybe that's something that happens at yeah, these uh, surgery happen in these spots
2: uh, indirectly so uh, one of our popular grafts to use to reconstruct an ACL okay. is the hamstrings specifically semitendinosus and gracilis okay so uh, when we do that operation we make a cut right over the pes mm-hmm. we go and find the three things and we take the two that are the middle one and the inferior one. Oh, interesting. And okay. we take them out of your body, remove yeah. them completely, and uh, you can go on to play in the NFL. So uh, so it's not like these are critical things that you're going to miss. Uh, Which uh, it's is amazing. Hard to that, It's amazing. It really is amazing. I mean, yeah. we do have other hamstrings that are still around after we do that, uh, but uh, you know, even the most damning reports seem to show like a 5% strength loss. Some don't show any perceivable strength wow. loss. Wow. So,
0: okay. All right, so Paul, we have we cured Miss Alta's? Uh... Should,
1: she's she's doing great. She's back to the NFL.
0: <laughs> okay, oh, good. Uh, now maybe what's the more difficult case? I think of the yes. th- of the three scenarios. Not that
1: I, I'm ever deeply excited about knee pain, but this one I I'm, I'm excited to hear at least your strategy for it, Deb. But we're gonna tell you about Mr. Patrick Baja, another hilarious name by the way. Sixty-four <laughs> year old gentleman, past history noteworthy for obesity with a BMI of thirty-six, dyslipidemia, chronic low back pain. He's got known DJD of the knees. Surgical history is noteworthy for a total knee arthroplasty of the right knee done about seven years ago. Initially, this was really helpful for him. Um, he did great, did his his exercises, rehabbed well, had um, complete resolution of his pain. But then, over the past several months, that knee pain has come back, and his right knee now feels stiff and chronically painful. The pain is helped a little bit by NSAIDs, but not sufficiently. And he's nervous and a little bit confused, like he thought he had this fixed. He does feel a little bit less stable, but the knee has not given out. He's not had any falls or anything. So. I feel like this comes up a lot where patients come to me years after a knee replacement and like, yeah, my knee's starting to hurt again. And I just I feel like I have nowhere to go from here other than you should probably see your friendly neighborhood surgeon just to help me figure this out. So I would love a little bit of a better framework to help me figure out what to do about this and sort of how you think about the patient who has knee pain after knee replacement.
2: Yeah, excellent. Um, And the first thing I do is I do divide them into two groups. And one is the patient who hates their knee, has hated it from the day they opened their eyes after surgery, never felt right, agony. It's seven years later. It's not getting better. The orthopod keeps telling me it's going to get better, come back in a year. After seven of those years, I'm starting <laughs> to lose faith. Yeah. Uh, so that's a different patient from our patient. Our patient had a great result. And that takes a whole bunch of things out of the differential. It takes uh, a poorly implanted knee replacement technique out of the differential. Uh, it, it takes um, an intraoperative, like at the time of surgery, infection out of the differential. Mm-hmm. Very weird for that to smolder along for seven years asymptomatically and then uh, and come along now. Um, it uh, There's a whole bunch of things in the differential. Um, I'll just mention a couple more. Uh, someone whose knee had arthritis, but it was actually the hip above it that was sending pain into the knee. oh mm-hmm. yeah And that, I get burned on that if I'm not careful. You can have bone-on-bone arthritis in your hip and perceive it as 100% knee pain, not hip pain. And if you uh, have a little arthritis in your knee or maybe you have bad arthritis in your knee but you forgot to check the hip, do the knee replacement. Patients are unhappy because the pain generator, which is the hip, is yeah. still there, and so th- that patient's never happy—not from the beginning because yeah. we missed part of the equation on that.
0: Do you get AP pelvic films on all your knee replacement no, patients just, just really to make sure? No, because there's a
2: really good physical exam screen. Okay, and that's this windshield wiper. The windshield test. wiper. Yes. <laughs> sure, well, so well familiar with it. It'll them. be stiff and uncomfortable. Uh, that's uh, for the people who aren't familiar with that uh, that name. Uh, it's the patient sitting with the hip flexed ninety degrees, which is already putting some tension on the hip capsule. Right. And if it's overstuffed with an effusion, then take Taking the lower segment from the knee to the ankle and rolling it back and forth like a windshield wiper in internal external rotation just yeah. rings that capsule out like a wash rag. And it's really stiff and uncomfortable for people with intraarticular pathology in their hip. So I like that screen. If they pass that screen, I don't get an x ray on them. Okay. Uh, but again, we're on a different patient there. That's the patient who never liked their knee from the beginning. Yeah. This patient did like their knee for seven years and now it's bothering them. So something changed. And there are a couple things that can change. Um, these things that we put in people's knees, the knee replacement pieces, are almost like putting a cap on a tooth. Uh, they're meant to replace the articular surface cartilage that they wore away, and like a cap on a tooth, they can come loose. Mm-hmm. So one of the things in the differential is loosening of components, mm-hmm. and uh, that means you know the bond between the component and the bone has failed. And when that component bond fails, the piece moves a little bit as they walk. So they perceive that as pain because it actually is moving and rubbing against the bone beneath it. So it's painful for them. And we can uh, find that oftentimes if it's severe enough with an x-ray. And what we see on the x-ray is a lucency between the part and the bone. So think about a fence post that's set in sand instead of concrete. It wobbles back and forth. The more you walk, the more loose it gets. And you see this void around the piece, Mm. which is uh, a sign of lucency. Mm -hmm. Um, If it isn't that uh, advanced yet. So maybe it's moving a little bit, not enough to create an x-ray findable finding. Uh, but, uh, but it's, it's loose. You can do a bone scan and, uh, a bone scan should be stone cold in the knee. If it's more than two years from surgery, mm-hmm. and bone scans are not useful in, like a year after surgery because there's still some metabolic remodeling there. And that will take up the technetium labeled phosphate, uh, more than a, a baseline. So, but after seven years, it should be no more yeah. lit up than anything else. So, if you get uh, increased uptake of the technetium-labeled phosphate of a bone scan, there's construction work being done on the bone. Bone's mm-hmm. taking labeled phosphate, putting in. There's something wrong there, and that's a, that's a good sign for loosening. That's pre X-rays. It's, it's it, you can. It's more sensitive than the X-ray. It catches the earlier ones where there's not a lucency yet.
0: And this could be pure purely mechanical or the adhesive is is failing it's not mm-hmm. necessarily infection or not necessarily some other infection. inflammatory process going mm-hmm. on. So
2: that's what we call aseptic loosening. Uh-huh. And uh, 7 years is kind of early for that. Shouldn't happen that early? Uh, but it sometimes does, Uh, Mm -hmm. rarely, but sometimes does. So that's all my differential is looking for aseptic loosening. And then as you brought up, uh, infection. In this case, it's not the most common infection, which is the one that was introduced during the day of surgery when things are wide open and people are touching things, but uh, more likely a hematogenous seeding of the Mm -hmm. knee from an infection somewhere else in the body. And that can happen at any time in the patient's lifetime. And one of the burdens that you have as a joint replacement patient is you have a big foreign body in essentially an abscess cavity, the, the yeah. joint, which is poorly serviced by the immune system, so you're kind of a setup if you if, if you inoculate that somehow with uh, bacteria. So um, so those infections, and a lot of times the patients will say, "Well, doc, I know it's not infected. It's not like really huge swollen. It's not red. It's not like a bursting boil." Uh, but they're indolent. Germs that can kind of grow along mm-hmm. at a low pace and cause this nuisance naggy pain, uh, and so I think that belongs on the differential and something we're kind of obligated to uh, rule out. You know, yeah. In, so in
0: if there scenario. if there was fluid there, that maybe you would sample the fluid if if yeah. if you were able to detect it. There's
2: a there's a protocol I can go over with you. This is what the Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons recommends if you want to work that up. Okay. And uh, they uh, give different numeric points to different elements in the workup. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the things you can do that uh, don't require a needle in the knee are an erythrocyte sedimentation rate mm-hmm. and a C-reactive protein. Mm-hmm. And unless there's some other reason, those should be pretty low. Uh, they're not very specific. So if you right. have, you guys know better than I do, if you have sure. some other disease process, they're gonna be elevated. Yeah. But let's say they're both normal. Uh, if they're both normal, you can make an argument for just putting infection to rest. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and uh, if they are abnormal, then you've got to say, okay, are these elevations coming from a knee infection or just some other thing that the person yeah, has? Yeah, they so have I sinusitis think... or like right. a exactly, dental 60-something-year-old yeah. in patient
0: with chronic
1: illness. Like, there's probably something else going on. Yes. Yeah.
2: So if they're elevated, then I like to aspirate the knee. Okay. And uh, I'll aspirate the knee and and look for elevated white cell count, uh, an elevated a, d- a differential that favors polymorphic uh polymorphonuclear leukocytes um and uh, they uh there's this complicated ag- algorithm that incorporates like different scores for all these different things but the concept is you know if the serum markers are elevated you're probably obligated to check to make sure it's not yep. the knee. a knee aspiration needle aspiration sending the fluid to for yeah
0: gram stain culture yep. cell count yeah, differential exactly. these yep. things okay so we're familiar with these kind of yeah, th- this workup. kind of workup so okay uh, anything else on the potential algorithm there for the workup? Yeah. So, uh, the, um, I
2: don't want to get too technical, but in a knee replacement, you know, our human knees have three surfaces that rub against each other and articulate. There's the femur against the tibia, mm-hmm. both of which are coated with cartilage in a normal knee. There's also the patella against the femur. Yep. So these three bones are all rubbing against each other, and sometimes when we do knee replacements, we open the knee. We're doing the surgery because the femur is down to bone, the tibia is down to bone. We resurface both of those, and the patella has a thick, pristine, normal layer of cartilage. Right. Oftentimes, we don't resurface that patella. We don't cut off the nature's good cartilage to put our mm. plastic piece of almost cartilage on there. Yeah. Uh, and Makes over sense. over seven years that can wear as it rubs against the metal of the femur covering, Mm -hmm. okay? So you can go from having a normal asymptomatic healthy layer of cartilage on the patella in seven years to wearing it down to bone of the patella rubbing against metal.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
2: So uh, if the patient had a knee replacement in which the patella was not resurfaced, it'd be great to get a merchant's view and look to see, is the bone resting right on the metal of uh, the femoral component? And that just means that in that time, they wore off that natural cartilage.
0: That seems very practical and to know and intuitive now that you sort of mention how, how you think about it.
2: Right, because I went deep in the weeds
1: for this, looking at the ortho literature in terms of like, well, was the patella resurfaced or not? I'm like, this is far more than I need to know. When you frame it that way, like this, okay, this makes a great deal of sense. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So concern for some sort of hardware loosening, Mm -hmm. you could do a plain film. If that doesn't show you anything, then you might follow up with a a bone scan, which is going to be a little bit more sensitive for that. And then at that point, if there is some evidence of loosening, you would probably do Potentially, some sort of aspiration to see if there's an infectious etiology or not? Am
0: I just. If, uh, if, the, ES, if the ESR ESRI, CRP cetera, CRP is elevated. Okay. elevated, yeah. Yeah.
2: So, um, so I guess uh, we got so we crossed over there between aseptic loosening yeah. and septic loosening. So let's right. just pretend that uh, we see loosening on the x ray. The components yeah. are grossly loosened. One or, or both components are not bonded well to bone. That's going to need surgery. Whether it's infected or whether it's aseptic, uh, that loose piece isn't going to tighten up and rebond <laughs> to the bone. Right. So at that point, uh, we're going to make a plan to revise the knee. And okay. when we're in the knee revising it, we will send actual tissue samples okay. for frozen section to be looking for acute inflammation. Yeah. We're going to send stuff to the lab to look at the gram stain. So we'll uh, we'll be able to do some of these tests for infection there that are more powerful than an aspiration or the set okay. rate and so forth. And we got to be in there anyway. So while we're in there, we'll get some some better samples to get more accurate tests to rule out infection. When we go to the operation, we're telling the patient if it's infected, And we find that during surgery, we're gonna take out all that stuff and we're gonna put in what we call a spacer, which is just a piece of uh, polyethyl, or it's uh, polymethylmethacrylate, but it's a plasticky stuff that's impregnated with antibiotics. And the antibiotics are gonna weep out of that device into the surrounding tissue. At the same time, they're getting six or eight weeks of IV antibiotics directed by what organism we find. Uh, And then once we're convinced that the knee infection's gone, then we have a second operation to take that chunk of plastic out and put yeah. it in a
0: knee replacement. this is where you feel bad for the patient oh, when they're horrible. going through this. This is, this is, the, this is this bad. This
2: is really a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah. So the aseptic loosening or septic loosening we can sort out during the time of surgery. Okay. Can I ask just one of those
1: fundamental questions that I feel stupid asking, but I've, but that's kind of my role for the show. But when we're, when we're talking – in general, when we talk about knee replacements and, and sort of the life expectancy that they have, like oh, these might be good for 10 years and it sounds like they may be even longer at this point. But what is happening at that time that they they become not as – that? like why what happens at 10 years? Why, why yeah. do knee replacements fail, generally speaking? Is it this loosening? Is it something
2: else? Yeah, there are a list of things, but by far and away, the most common cause of failure – unless it's within the first year. So in the first year there are all kinds of like intraoperative infections. If you get yeah. past your first year, you're likely to have decades before you get into trouble again. And when you get into trouble decades later, it's typically aseptic loosening. That's the number one cause of failure mm-hmm. down the road.
0: So Ted, I want to just try to recap because we were we were trying to sort this out. So the if we're, if we think someone might have loosening, you know, they've had a knee replacement and now uh, it's been years later and we're looking for loosening, we'll get an X-ray. If we see a lucency, that knee, that knee's hardware has to be revised. And we can, it, when we go in there, we can check if it's aseptic or infectious. Correct. Because you know, we're going to be doing, opening up the knee for a surgery. Uh, if the x-ray doesn't show a lucency, but we're still suspicious, we get a bone scan. And at seven years out, after after two years, that bone scan should be negative. Nothing should light up on the knee more so than anywhere else. Correct. Um, however, uh, you can have an infection without loosening. Absolutely. So if, if the person's having this just discomfort in the knee and they're many years out, an ESR, CRP, if those are elevated, that could be you know a sign that maybe there's an infection here. Um, if those are low, then our suspicion for infection would be lower. Correct. And uh, if if ESR CRP is up, we we may get aspiration looking for infection there. And that's where the cell counts, differential, all this kind of stuff we're used to looking at. Yep. Um now you told us there's some other stuff that can happen, and I know you have some models. Maybe we can we can get that on camera. But uh, what about what else can go wrong with the knee joint? Let's if if we haven't found loosening and we haven't found uh, you know asept infection. Yeah. Uh, what what else can happen?
2: So uh, yeah, I think we talked about the possibility of wearing the cartilage down to bone on the patella and yep. having bone against metal articulation in a yes. patient who didn't get resurfacing of the patella. Right. And then another thing that can happen is. Uh, uh, polyethylene wear, so um, it, it may be helpful to use a uh,
0: yeah, and this the camera model. for yeah. Um, so the so the surface uh, is we replaced the surface in this model of the fib uh, femur the femur, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah. So there's a piece that fits like a cap on a tooth on the end of the femur. Okay. Another piece that's actually two pieces: a metal right. bottom and a polyethylene top. That caps off the tibia, and then you run around like this afterwards. Right. And the bearing surfaces are the metal of the femur against the plastic of the tibial component. Okay. And if, in the implantation of the knee replacement, this gets scratched, yeah. That scratch can increase the wear rate of the plastic beneath it. There's a yeah. scratched piece of metal rubbing against plastic. Sure. is Much more uh, damaging than a smooth piece of metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, there have been some manufacturing problems years ago that yielded right. pieces of plastic with imperfections that made them wear out faster. So in seven years, if somebody has, uh, especially if they're complaining of laxity, so a sensation of looseness, right? they may have worn their plastic piece down to either right. nothing or close to nothing, which because it brings the ligament uh, insertion yeah. origin near each other, creates right. ligament laxity and they feel instability. Yeah,
0: because the tendon was sized where the whole thing was sized for a thicker piece of plastic. Yes. And once it's worn down, the tendon is shortening. Yeah, the ligaments, yeah. They, the ligaments, they, they, sorry, ligament shortening, and now they're getting this laxity.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the length is the same, but the, the effective length is shorter because yeah. you're bringing the two ends close to each other. So instead of being nice and taut, it's all snaky and loose. Right. And then it will be sloppy. And so
0: will they complain of the feeling of instability when they're moving? Uh, and on exam, can you can you tell that? Yeah, is it-
2: yeah you bet. You can see uh usually it's this uh varus valves i hate using those terms because they're so yeah but they're not not intuitive uh Um, they're not at all uh i even had to think twice there to to make sure i got them right um but uh you you basically if you're taking the lower segment uh and moving it either toward or away from the midline you're checking the collateral ligaments yeah and those are the easiest ones to check for laxity if you've got polyethylene wear okay uh so that's an easy test to do um it uh you know, if if you're not, if you're used to seeing a lot of knees, you kind of have an idea of what's normal as far as varus valgus laxity. Yeah. But, but uh, it can be very profound. In which case, it's like a it's a no brainer. That's that's abnormal uh, motion, and that can either because be because the components loose. But we're saying the components aren't loose. We've worked that up. They're nicely bonded to bone. In this instance, is loss of polyethylene material, mm-hmm. which is making that laxity.
0: So. Uh, for for that is that also going to lead to a re- revision of the surgery yes okay yep. what about i feel like i've seen the patient that had arthritis and then they're they've had the bone resurfaced but they're coming back and they're saying i think it's it feels like my arthritis again i feel like i've seen people even get injected with cortisone for that and are we treating this the same way as we would treat somebody that had you know let's say we've yeah, so how is it's none of these <laughs> It's not aseptic loosening. It's right. not infection. It's not, you know, there's no laxity. And it's just, w- what else can go wrong? Or, and or, is, does cortisone help? Uh, yeah, it,
2: at that point, if we're doing that, we're really desperate. And I've been desperate. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, 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 uh, I'm not at all saying that's necessarily wrong. Hey, you're but talking it, to me and Paul. I mean, desperation, <laughs> <laughs> we've reached of desperation, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're, if you're at that stage, you're saying, okay, everything I can think of isn't panning out but the patient's still having this pain. And you could surmise maybe that there's some hypertrophic synovium in there for some reason, uh, and you're gonna give a cortisone shot to try to deflate the inflammation of that. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's getting pinched between the components kind of like the inside of your cheek the you, more you pinch it the more swollen it gets the more swollen it gets the more apt it is to get pinched and there's a mm. cycle that progresses and you can break that cycle with a cortisone injection mm. we're really really hesitant and reluctant to put a cortisone injection into a knee just because it's such a setup for infection to begin with it's a big foreign body in essentially an abscess cavity yeah. not serviced well by the immune system so now we're going to introduce through the skin you know right. a needle of medicine that tends to weaken the immune system <laughs> so we it's not our favorite thing to do but I got to I'm guilty. I've done it before when I get to that stage where the person's miserable and I have no answers. uh, One thing that's just as bad an idea is to revise somebody without any real reason to revise them. Yeah. Yeah. So our success rate is. Poor. If we're just like okay, I can't think of anything else. I'm gonna replace. I'm gonna redo your knee replacement. In in those. So
0: is it better to tr- just try to the physical therapy and uh, You know whatever.
2: Yeah, other, you name other it. things you Magnet can do. Magnet therapy, laser beams. <laughs> it, just, I uh, mean, really, yeah, stuff. just anything you can think of. But <laughs> yeah, I've done rich. all that and still ended up nowhere and done a cortisone shot.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because I, I do. Do you see these people, Paul? That uh, are like time. it's. You're, you're not sure what's going on. It's just the knee has gone bad, and um, it's. It doesn't necessarily need to come out, but they're they're unhappy, and and you're not sure what to do. For
1: better but, or for worse, like it's. It's nice to have the replacement have been done because then I have someone I can blame and sort of immediately turf to. So like, (laughs) I'm glad to be like, well then we should probably have you see the surgeon for that. Like it sounds like they're not doing their jobs. (laughs) Right.
2: Well, the other Uh, thing to think about in that patient too, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is this patient may now be developing hip arthritis. Yeah, And the hip is famous for sending pain into the knee below it. Mm. So uh, that might explain, I mean, they they shouldn't have arthritic pain in their replaced knee because the surfaces have no sensation. So, um, and I've definitely found people who've come to me with the sore knee replacement and it turned out that their hip became arthritic uh they're in the right age group they've proven that they can get arthritis uh, so it's not unthinkable that they would have it at adjacent sure. joint um
0: i have lots of patients who have had both knees and hips yeah, so, yes, uh, so, yeah. so that that tracks with me for sure well, Paul, I think we've we've gone about an hour, so I think we should probably start to uh, land this plane. Uh, <laughs> and do you want to anything else you want to do before we go for take home points? No, I
1: think we're ready. And I mean, we fixed Mister Baja; he, he gets his <laughs> knee revised. There's some loosening. He's he does great again. Um, so we'll 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 send out the patient happy, and then ask Ted if you have any take home points for our listeners.
2: Yeah, I think we covered it all in in pretty good detail. So mm-hmm. those are great cases, and uh, they're always more difficult than the more center of the road knee complaints that yeah. we see all the time and have talked about before.
0: Is there like one or t- one thing maybe for each, like for the patellofemoral uh, pain syndrome, uh, for the bursitis, or for the um, the the, the post op knee pain that you want people to yeah. remember? Like one take home per.
2: If I had to take well, do one take home per, I would say for the anterior knee pain. Try to avoid surgical solutions. They don't work well. Mm -hmm. Emphasize physical therapy. Okay. Uh, For the pes bursitis, cortisone's a great weapon for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's easy to do because your target's right there under the skin and the patient has just told you where the focus of pain is. Right. And then for the painful knee replacement where the pain starts years after the implant uh, x-ray x-ray is really helpful it'll pick up loosening it'll pick up down to bone wear in the patellofemoral yeah. joint a tracking problem all kinds of things so
0: yeah okay so you
1: get the, the big three x-ray that we talked about before so a standing film pa lateral and then the immersion view for all these patients is that right mm-hmm. great yes
0: all right well, thank you so much. Uh, always good to have uh, you on the show. Great we great to see you guys. We, we owe you guys. a shoulder episode at I'd love to point. do that. Yeah. Maybe next year we'll do okay. that. We'll tackle that. All right. You got it.
1: This has been another episode of the Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole yummy it's always kind of a question still hungry for more join our patreon and get all of our episodes ad free plus twice monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash curbsiders you can find show notes at the curbsiders.com and while you're there sign up for a mailing list to get our weekly show notes in your inbox including our curbsiders digest which recaps the latest practice changing articles guidelines and news in internal medicine
0: And we're committed to high value, practice-changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. You can also email us at askcurbsiders at gmail.com. A reminder that this and most episodes are available for CME through VCU Health at curbsiders.vcuhealth.org. I want to give a special thanks to our writer and producer for this episode, Dr. Paul Nelson-Williams, America's PCP, and to our whole Curbsiders team, uh, our technical production is done by Podpaste. Elizabeth Proto runs our social media. Chris the Chew Man Chew is the moderator on our Discord. Stuart Brigham composed our theme music. And Paul, with all that, until next time, I've been Dr. Matthew Frank Waddo.
1: And as always, I remain Dr. Paul Nelson Williams. Thank you and goodbye.
3: Einstein was a friend of mine, we used to go out for a beer or a glass of wine, and we'd talk about all the things that were dragging us down. I complain about traffic for kids these days, and why my boss won't give us a raise, and he'd shake his head and say, man, you got nothing on me. I got this big old body and a little tiny brain that was stolen from a guy who was criminally insane, and then they sewed these bolts on the side of my neck. But the biggest hassle is the dating scene When you're six foot ten and your skin's a pale green It makes it kind of difficult to find a lady He said it's hard to meet women when you look like this You can count on one finger all the ones that I've kissed Trying not to scare them, but I can't resist It's hard to meet women when you look like this Well, my friend Drax got a cape on his back He's got pointy little teeth and his hair slicked back And that accent of his, man, you'd think the girls would come running but it's hard to date women in the usual way When you're sleeping in a box in the basement all day And that thing about changing into a bat, that just freaks them out He used to have a girl, her name was Jane Until he sunk his teeth into her jugular vein And that's what Dr. Phil calls a relationship ender He said it's hard to meet women when you look like this You can count them one a on one finger all the ones that I've kissed Trying not to scare them, but I can't resist It's hard to meet women when you look like this Now, the wolfman, he's not all that scary. Sure, his teeth are a little pointy and his face is a little hairy, but after all, he's a cousin, a man's best friend. He's housebroken up to date on his shots, and compared to most guys, that's saying a lot. Gotta admit, ladies, he's rocking that mullet. Just don't be around him when the moon is full. He'll tear out your lungs and bash in your skull. Guess you gotta just say it's his time of the month. Said it's hard to beat women when you look like this You can count on one finger all the ones that I've kissed try not to scare them, but I can't resist It's hard to meet women when you look like this So ladies, all I'm asking is you give them a chance Buy them a beer or ask them to dance Beneath that cold exterior is a heart of gold I think the danger here is overrated. can't be worse than that biker you dated or that creepy guy you met on date.com. These guys ain't monsters, they're just misunderstood. A firm-handed woman would do them some good. And besides, you always said you like bad boys anyway. They say it's hard to meet women when you look like this. You can count on one finger all the ones that we've kissed. Try not to scare them, but we can't resist. It's hard to meet women when you look like this. It's hard to meet women when you look like this